Welcome to the Born Around the World podcast, a podcast by the National Security Education Program for Born awardees, language lovers, and public service enthusiasts. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Jenna Lindeke Heavenridge, a 2013 Born Fellow to Japan. After completing her bachelor's, Jenna served as a Shansi Fellow with a grassroots NGO in India, where she developed an interest in international development. She later pursued a double master's at American University, where she furthered her knowledge of Japanese and the Japanese international development sector. Since then, she has worked as an analyst and researcher with two federal contractors and as a service to the Armed Forces Disaster Lead for the American Red Cross in Japan. As a military spouse, she has also had to pursue creative career solutions while abroad. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jenna. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. You've transitioned actually quite a bit from doing international development work in India and then studying in Japan and then working on a military base in Japan. So what was it like being in and then adjusting to these different environments? I think it's always exciting. Um, Moving to India, that was my first time I'd ever been there and I was signed up to be there for two years. And foreign, at least I had been there once before, so I knew a little bit what I was getting into. But there's always that excitement of getting on the ground and the excitement of not really knowing what it's going to be like. Uh, And for me, it always took a lot of humility and uh, also just humor to look back and say, this is really uncomfortable, but I'll laugh about it later. And just this openness to knowing that I, as the foreigner in these situations, didn't necessarily know or even comprehend what I was supposed to do. And so being really open to getting feedback pointed in the right directions or, you know, make mistakes and move on. It was, it was that humble forgiveness of myself, but also trying to adjust to the new realities that were going to be my life. Mm-hmm. Were there certain new realities that you had to adjust to? Um, so I think India was, I think, the most dramatic adjustment for me is I walked in there with about an eight-week Hindi course to rural India where not a lot of people spoke English. And um, we did have, of course, running water and electricity and so on, but I instead of a shower, I had a bucket. Um, and so, like, it was learning to be like, this is normal. I am not going to be upset about the fact that my shower is now a bucket in my bathroom. And, you know, I'll still get cleaned every morning the same way. It's just a, a different process. And I think... Also, as a second language speaker, when you go into places like these, being okay not fully knowing what's going on and trying to find resources to help you figure out after the fact um, how you might have done it differently, or maybe even it wasn't didn't matter that much that you didn't quite catch all the, the comments in that conversation. And then in addition to adjusting abroad, you also had to adjust to a military base. What was that like? I think that was almost more shocking to me because I didn't expect the culture shock that I got there. That when I was ready to go to India, ready to go to Japan, I was ready for this different culture. And so when it was, I spent about a year between my boring time in Kyoto, back in the US doing some studies before I moved back to the Tokyo area um, with my new husband to live on this military base um, in Yokosuka, Japan. And I was thought, I know America, the base is gonna be like mini America. I know Japan, it's, these are two things I understand. And I think it was shocking to me how different that culture is um, as 
as somebody who had never been in, in military communities before. And definitely encourage folks to get to know the military communities around you as it's a really resilient group of people. But I think the hardest thing for me adjusting there was just that I wasn't prepared that it was going to be a different culture. Um, and I think what that adjustment initially, I looked very inward. I stayed in my apartment and then I went to shop out in Japan and I didn't really connect with people out in Tokyo as much because it was far or with people even in my own neighborhood because I, I just didn't understand the cultural dynamics and I hadn't prepared myself to reach out to them. And so what it really came down to was realizing that there are maybe not super well advertised, but there are in any large community people like me. And so where I wound up finding those like-minded people was through the American Red Cross and also through um, a new initiative called the Akoska Council on Asia Pacific Studies, YCAPS, which was sort of a seminar series uh, run by a, a new nonprofit. And through finding those small opportunities on and around base, I found people a lot like myself who might actually have been experiencing some of that culture shock of being in Japan on a military base and that unique little cultural mixture that people were dealing with. And so it was in finding through activities that mattered to me, I was able to find people that were like-minded and able to connect with and grow in that, that new culture together. How did you go about finding these opportunities and building this community? Um, and did you at all feel supported professionally during your time on the base? So for the opportunities, I will say that YCAPS was a very happy accident happened to be cruising around Facebook and saw the, this event is happening near you. You might like it. And I was like, why, yes, I would. And when I saw the event, sort of afterwards went to the organizer and said, this is really cool. How can I help? And then within six months, I was the vice president. So it was it's sort of taking that initiative of not just, I would like to ride on the coattails of what's being done, but really let me be involved, be belonging in this. And the same with the Red Cross. That was a little more visible that they often had a lot of um, recruitment tables on base. And knowing what I did about the Red Cross, I thought about them largely as a disaster response, blood donation type organization, but they do some really interesting services specific to the military. However, at that time, they were looking to expand into the more disaster stuff. So when I walked up to them, I already had an idea that I wanted to do something disaster related and they didn't have a disaster program yet. And so they handed that to me. And I think in that context, those two organizations were very supportive of me professionally in a volunteer perspective. It will say, um, as far as getting, I was still working on getting some of my boring requirements filled at that time. And as far as the hiring authorities on base and so on, that was a lot tougher. It felt a little bit like pushing on a rope. Since I've come back, there's been some new hiring authorities and reforms that prioritize military spouses in federal hiring things and so i think that that's super helpful had i gone back over there now and was i and if i was trying to get hired there i think i would have a lot more support but at the time it was quite challenging what advice would you give to someone who may also be um, a military spouse and who may also feel a bit isolated and hindered in their professional pursuits so i would say um, if you know where you're going next start looking at places like USA Jobs and even looking at some of the contractor websites, figure out what contractors are on the base and what kind of work they do and what you might enjoy. Because a lot of those jobs actually recruit from uh, US side and then uh, move people over to wherever that location is. So it's, it's 
probably, and those application processes take a long time. So if you have the chance to look ahead, um, do so, definitely. And I would say, don't be afraid of the spouse groups. I was a brand new military spouse and I didn't really know what that meant. Unfortunately, there are some really harmful stereotypes of what a military spouse might be. And unfortunately, I'd bought into some of those. And realizing when I was there and was feeling very isolated because I'm not like the rest of them. And, and the truth is I wasn't because every single one of them was very unique. And it's the incredible diversity and different kinds of support circles within the military spouses, I think is really wonderful. And so don't be discouraged even if, for example, I was a little disappointed that all of the spouse groups that were posted on the wall to come hang out with us was like, bring your toddler and hang out. And I was like, well, I don't have a toddler, so I can't hang out. Um, but there are so many people out there and realizing that sometimes it may take some creativity to find those like-minded people, look for the activities, check Facebook, um, usually the bases have several Facebook feeds and social media feeds that they post things to and go to um, the sort of community centers they have, see what things are posted on the wall. And gradually, gradually, you'll you'll find places where you fit yourself in. Um, finding professional support, I think you can look around. You may or may not be able to find a paid job. It's still tough. Um, but look towards what volunteer service you can potentially do that would further your career. I found that in taking strong leadership positions, such as in the Red Cross and YCAPS, I was able to get skills that were transferable once I got back to the US. And I think also don't be afraid to use a broad time if you're someplace that's harder to get a job off base. Don't be afraid to use that time for professional development. I know a lot of folks who are working on their masters at that time. I also spent quite a bit of time working on my novel because I had a little time for that. So uh, if you can't find paid work or at least enough paid work or the exact right kind of career work you're looking for there, it's a humility to be a little more flexible in what you might look for. And then I would definitely talk to um, some folks to help you tailor your resume when you come back to be able to speak to what those skills were so that folks don't look at your resume and say, oh wow, what were you doing for two years? Were you just wasting time? When in fact you were really developing a lot of um, skills and networks and ideas. I wound up getting a lot of help from the Hiring Our Heroes program. So I highly recommend looking them up if you need some uh, resume support services. Thank you so much, Jenna. Um, I know you're currently back in the States, but you've talked a lot about having to reestablish your identity upon return. So in what ways did you establish identities in your different bases while you were abroad? And how did you create a sense of community in the places that you were? So I think it's easier as a student, um, certainly to have that set identity that if people know you're a, an international student, they'll, uh, they know what to expect of you. They know you're going to classes. They know you're interested in the cu culture you're in. But I think what was really fun in my first trip to Japan when I was an international student there and again, when I came back as a born fellow, uh, was to find clubs. Japan's really big on those, but I think other countries also have university clubs where you can, for example, I went to join the choir club. Singing in a choir was a big part of my US identity. And then I was able to join one in Japan to see how that system worked. And it was slightly different, but it was able to sort of transform that piece of my identity and anchor it in the local context. It was a little tougher in India. And then again, when I returned as a military spouse, because I didn't have that sort of default student identity and default 
like classmates to anchor in. But on one hand, it was finding other people like me. There were a handful of foreigners on the hill uh, when I was living in India. And there, of course, was a whole base full of foreigners when I went back to Yokosuka. And it's finding people like you, but also I think it's really freeing every time you move to be able to shed the things that were unhelpful that you sort of introduced yourself as to a group of people and then you realize that wasn't working for you and you can move on and shed that in the new location. I think there's this temptation when you move to a new location to try to be um, exactly like the locals, to try and fit in and be as if you were practically Japanese or as if you were practically Indian. And I think there, there are some good things to that, that um, you really want to respect the local culture and make sure that people feel comfortable interacting with you and make sure you aren't inadvertently offending people. But I also think once you start to get a hang of that, you don't want to really erase your whole identity. It's okay to push back a little bit and pick your battles to sort of help people maybe question what they think about you as a foreigner. And I think the truth of the matter is I will never be Japanese and I will never be Indian or I'll never be anything but the American I am. But that that American I am can still be very uh, complex, layered, cultural things. So I think it's finding the balance of holding on to those pieces of your, your American or whatever your home identity is and bringing in the aspects of this this culture that you are enjoying being a part of and want to value and respect the people around you. And then I think the the tricky part that Boren really put forward to me, as well as when I was a Shanti fellow, and even as a military spouse, whether you want to be or not, people see you as an American and you represent America inadvertently, no matter where you go. And I think that I felt that most keenly as when I was attached to the military, because Japan can be very reactionary if a soldier does something bad or a soldier does something good, the media will pick up on it and sort of have an all Americans type thing, which can really affect the way local people view the next American they see. It feels like a little bit of a pressure to make sure that you're always representing the US well, but I think it's also something that you can, can have fun with and recognize that you have this chance with this polite interaction, with this warm interaction with somebody to show them that I'm an American and this is the type of American I am. Perhaps we can be friends. I think that that's also a fun part about these exchanges. And how have you had to reestablish your identity in America? I think that that was almost harder than the forward culture shock because we all got training to say that this is going to be different, be prepared for it's different, you're gonna to have to adjust. I wasn't prepared, especially the first time I came back for the same is different. Coming back to the US didn't feel like coming back to normal because I'd been living abroad and that was normal. And the sort of person I had become to navigate those cultural and, and um, physical realities was also different than when I left. And so that was, shocking. It was a bit of a roller coaster to come back and not be able to turn to my right and left and see someone who had the same experience I had and said, am I right? Isn't this weird? Like I didn't have those connections. And I think what was really important to me was being able to find other folks who had lived abroad. Um, shortly after I came back, I wound up connecting with someone who'd spent considerable time in the Czech Republic. And while we had completely different experiences, she had also experienced that cultural difference coming back to it and that felt anchoring to me 
and I think that sort of cultural ambassador identity that I was had sort of internalized of representing myself well as an extension of America sort of became a little bit toxic when I came back because I felt like I had to be by default representing the American who lived abroad type experience, but nobody really was even watching for that. And so I had to realize that, yes, I had picked up some habits and cultural things that made me more complex than the American who had left the US two years ago. Um, I didn't necessarily need to represent that in every single conversation I had with other Americans. It was a fun way to connect with people who'd had similar experiences, but I had to let go that when people first met me, they would say, where are you from? And I'd say, well, I'm from Minnesota. And then they'd make a whole bunch of assumptions, some of which may be true, but that wasn't the whole picture. And at first that was really frustrating to me and sort of realized that, you know, maybe that's where the conversation can start, but it doesn't really matter that much as I try to make friends that they didn't immediately see that whole picture of my whole identity as long as that's an identity that I can feel anchored in. Thank you, Jenna. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for awardees who might be having trouble finding their place? Sure. I, uh, I think that what's really important is to be able to recognize that it's okay that it's weird. And it takes about nine months to a year to really re-anchor into the, the what now feels like a new culture um, back at home when you had left another home behind you. And don't be afraid of those emotions. They will come in roles in the same way that your forward culture shock did. But I think the most important thing is to seek out other people who've had similar experiences because then you don't quite feel so alone in it. And they may also have advice or bits of humor to be able to laugh with you about how strange it is for home to feel strange. The Foreign Network alumni is a great resource. A lot of folks who've had great experiences to really connect and figure out how to re-anchor together. So definitely look around. Even in this time when we can't necessarily physically see each other, there's a lot of great networks of people who've traveled and returned uh, even now for you to engage with to help find yourself here back in the US and perhaps prepare to go abroad again. Thank you so much for joining us again, Jenna. Thank you. This was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Born Around the World podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify to subscribe, rate, and view this podcast. If you're interested in participating in the podcast, email nsep at nsep.gov with Born Podcast in your subject line. Thank you for listening.